0: So uh, last week, Matt Hosier, for those of you who were here uh, out from the UK, did a brilliant job on really an introduction to the letter of Titus. I don't think he planned it like that, but that's how he did it. And we're going to do a mini series over the next four weeks. I'm just going to move here because, sorry. I suddenly realized that thing's got a funny thing I'll trip over. Okay, so sorry about that. Right, so we're going to do a mini-series over the next four weeks, and it's going to help us with a number of things wherever we're on the journey of faith. It's going to help us, firstly, to understand a little bit more about what it means to follow Christ. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? It's going to help us put our words and our beliefs into action, and it's going to help our church be more of what God wants it to be in the nation. And so if you're exploring faith today, this series is a great series for you to be able to dive in a little bit deeper, understand what we're about as a church, but also the Christian faith is about, and to be able to explore that together. And so you're so welcome amongst us here today. So here's a quick bit of background to the letter of Titus. It kicks off, and we're calling it Transformed. Do you like those backward R's that I did, eh? I'm not very creative, but I thought that looked pretty cool. All right, so we're doing transformed leadership today, and we're going to be looking at transformed families, transformed churches. The list goes on. Okay, so it starts in a 1 Titus verse 5. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to turn there. If you don't, it will be on the screen, and we have Bibles at the back as well. If you want to purchase one or if you can't afford one, we'll give you one, but uh, it's great to uh, turn to one. So Titus 1 verse 5, it starts off, Paul writing, he says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order, The Apostle Paul, uh, who was responsible for writing a huge portion of the New Testament of Scripture, a great church planter who encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was writing a letter to Titus encouraging him in this place called Crete to strengthen churches that existed and to plant new ones on this island so that they operated in a healthy manner. Now, the church in Crete was facing a leadership crisis. There'd been an invasion of false teaching, and it was causing huge confusion and disorder amongst the people there. And so Paul sent Titus, quite a young man at the time, to help sort out this problem. He was writing from somewhere else. And interestingly enough, I see a lot of similarities between Crete And Zimbabwe. You might go, well, how does that happen? Crete's like an island in the Mediterranean and we're a landlocked country in Africa. There's a lot of similarities. You see, Cretan culture was notorious during that period. In fact, a Greek word for liar is kretizo, to be a Cretan. So the very translation of liar in that was based on these people. The island was known to be full of mercenary soldiers. I don't know how many of those we have here, but anyway. Uh, Violent sexual immorality were everywhere. This was not your ultimate island paradise like we think of in the Mediterranean. But the island had many strategic harbors that serviced nations all across the Mediterranean Sea. It was a stopping point for restocking of supplies, repairing ships that had been damaged in the sea, changing crews, and then people continuing on journeys or starting new ones. And so the Apostle Paul, being the strategic man that he was, saw Crete, as number one, a place of great need, but secondly, a place where if people understood faith and churches were strong and healthy, it would be a great launch pad into the rest of the Mediterranean to the known world at the time. It would give people an opportunity to hear the good news and then to be sent out and have an impact in places far um, from where they were at that time. I've got a map of a few pictures, so you can a map of a few pictures. Anyway, So uh, we've got a map here, so there is uh, Crete in the Mediterranean, and uh, that's modern day, and if you go to the next one, um, thanks so much, Uh, over there, there's there's ancient, you've heard us talking as we have uh, in many of the preachers about uh, Rome, uh, Corinth, Ephesus, we did a series um, on a letter to the um, Colossians in Colossae, Jerusalem to the east, so that gives you an idea of where it was in the place of things. But why do I say it's similar to Zimbabwe? Well, some would say that we live in the Wild West here. Uh, We were talking to some people recently who've moved to live here, and they just said there's some things in this nation that are wild. Not just the driving, but the way that uh, life operates. Uh, It's a bit like the Wild West. The majority of people do not abide by rules. Uh, As I said, take driving, your phones while you drive, house building in areas you're not allowed to build, and so on. And uh, there's also those of us who might want to live the right way, There's many areas of life where you kind of have to live in the gray because you wouldn't survive uh, in one instance, but also you're not really sure how you should live in others as well. But there's also positives. We're known for having a hugely friendly population. I trust we demonstrate that at Hope Church. We have a good, well-rounded, moral-based education at the moment, and we pray that continues for a long time. There's still opportunity to generate revenue in probably ways greater than in other nations. We've got astounding natural resources. We have a wonder of the world on our doorstep. That's if you fly, Uh, if you drive us not that close. Uh, And you probably break your car on the way as well. Uh, And a stunning climate, we've got this immense diaspora network that spreads across the globe. We were talking to those friends of ours who were out from the UK, and he said that Zimbabwe ranks third as the number of immigrants in England third so uh, we have a huge amount of people who've traveled outside but just as Paul saw Crete I see Zimbabwe in some ways to many and I it may seem like a small African nation in a landlocked place being through trials what can it really offer globally but friends there's gospel significance in so many ways we have people who leave every year usually never to return Every year, we have others who leave, not just for university, but because they're trying to find greener pastures, as it were. If those people come to faith and see themselves as missionaries, we can have a huge impact globally. It's like people coming to faith in a Cretan house church, boarding a ship, and heading out to other parts of the Mediterranean. We experience the same sending from here. On top of that, our tourism is blossoming. What if people met Jesus Christ in Victoria Falls, the Thirty to 70,000 that we have going through there every few months. Wangi National Park was staying at a BNB in Harare. I really believe the Lord has placed the church in Zimbabwe in a unique position for global gospel advance. Not just to help us out in this place, but actually as a sending base for global gospel advance. I believe that with all my heart. The question is, will we as Hope Church and other churches around say yes to what God calls us to? Will we say yes to not thinking about ourselves, but to thinking about others, and will we step up to the plate? Or, in uh, Cretan words, uh, will we get all hands on deck for the kingdom? But uh, that's not all that God's calling us to. Let's carry on. How are we gonna see that happen? How are we gonna see this take place? It's gonna be healthy leadership, which we spoke about in the church and in Zimbabwe beyond. So, introduction. Leadership expert John Maxwell, he's famous for saying everything rises and falls on leadership. And if we look at life, this is 100% true. From leading yourself, and people leading themselves well or badly, to leading families from organizations to nations. Sure, there's people more gifted in leadership naturally, but it can be learned as well. We can all learn and grow in this area. Everyone has an opportunity to improve their skills. People lead in many different ways. Some bring great good, and others bring great evil. So for example, Hitler, was a brilliant leader, absolutely horrific leader, but as far as his ability to influence, not many on that scale. And so we can use our leadership ability for good or for bad. So today we're gonna to look at God's plan for leadership in the church and in our families, but stay tuned for next week where we'll dive in further into what it means to lead in those close ended groups as well. See, Jesus died for the church as we heard in that video. It's the most significant institution, the only one that will last into eternity. So whether you're part of a school here, whether you're part of some business fraternity, none of those will last into eternity, but Jesus' church, us, will. And so what sort of structure does God want? How does he want to see it put in place? And how can we do that at Hope? And how can we all do that personally? Because as we go through this, this passage, I want us to remember that even though it's focused on church leadership, many of these principles apply to each of us in whatever stage of life we are. So let's continue reading. Paul says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. The church in Crete needed help, and how was Titus gonna help sort this out? He was gonna appoint leaders as Paul had directed him. So Paul planted these grassroots churches, that's what he did, and now a few months or years down the road, Titus need to come in and make sure that these churches Paul planted were operating in a healthy way that they were remaining biblical. He was to set an example. And Paul says elders... And that's quite a strange word for us in our day and age. You might know that if you're out in the rural areas, you might have village elders. We might have elders in society. But what does that mean in terms of leadership? Well, to be honest, the first part I'd love to look at is it says elders with an S meaning plural. It means teamwork. And that helps us to remain accountable, to work as a team with different gifts and abilities. No church should have solo leadership or a leader who's not accountable to anyone, to a team. Paul wanted to see churches established in every town, and this took time. So he planted, he went away. Months or years later, he said, we need to get these structures in place. Interestingly enough, Paul uses two different words for elder in this passage. Although we read it in English in a similar sense, uh, he uses presbyteros, translated elder, and in verse seven he uses episkopos, which means overseer or bishop. But that gives you an idea of the role of an elder. Some might say a father, a shepherd but somebody who oversees so you might be asking the question well Craig since you guys are a year and a half into the church planted hope what kind of structures do you have in place if this is what you're supposed to well I'll give you a brief rundown we were planted a year and a half ago if those of you guys who are visiting sometimes I think that was yesterday and sometimes I go man it feels like it's been a long ride but it's been amazing and you guys are amazing and keep coming Uh, But it was planted with the support of trusted friends and leaders locally, many of you will know, some from across the globe. And you've seen and heard from quite a few. Some have come in and traveled, Matt Hosier last week being one of them, but others too. And as hope's grown, we've set in place different teams in charge of different areas. We have connect groups operating. We've got a finance team that handles all things monetary uh, to, to make sure we've got accountability there. And then a few months ago, we asked some people to join a core leadership team. So just ask some people who are already serving in many areas of leadership to join a core leadership team to further help us in that. And then in the next three to nine months, we're going to see elders and deacons appointed at Hope, again with the support of outside help and outside wisdom. And funnily enough, whenever we've wanted to speed up this process and say, no, we need to get elders and deacons in place, Every single external person we've spoken to, everyone we've asked for wisdom and advice had said, don't hurry this process. Take your time in this process, which has been really interesting to see. But we want our church to be in line with scripture. So that's a bit about the overarching, what should leaders look like in the church and outside? Well, the first thing that leaders should have is something called godly character. Look what it says here in verse six. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quickly tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. It's quite a big list that Paul gives for how we should live. But when there's a failure of leadership in an organization or in a country, it shows that there's actually been an issue at heart level for a lot longer than the external. So for those of you who follow the news, uh, there's been a number of, terribly sadly, but a number of crumblings from the International House of Prayer to uh, TB Joshua and um, I think Nigeria and other places. But actually their moral failings and crumblings... Shows that there's actually been heart problems that have been operating for many years before the external comes out. And so Paul didn't want to see this happen in the church. And so you'll notice that actually when he speaks, he speaks about character, not ability. He cares about the character of people rather than he does what they can actually do. You see, Jesus can use anyone supernaturally, he can use us whether we think that we're good enough or not. But it's a healthy character that will stand the test of adversity and pride. So let's look at a few thoughts on character. He says that an elder, a leader must be faithful, the husband of one wife. This doesn't mean that leaders have to be married necessarily, but they do need to be committed to being a one wife man when that time comes. Now, in the polygamous culture of Crete that was full of that, and in the twisted sexual tide that we currently face, that's a very important distinction for Paul to bring. Because to say somebody who leads should be the husband of one wife, in many parts around our world, they would say, that's not it. It's definitely not that. That's not how we live now. But biblically, that's how we're called to live. It shows how the Bible stands on sexuality according to the Bible. What else? Elders should not be seen as arrogant, prone to be quick-tempered, drunken, or greedy. And this is why a team of leaders is so important. So we keep ourselves accountable number three there's also some good character elements that we should look at being uh, as well as leaders hospitable lovers of good self-controlled upright holy and disciplined leaders are never going to be perfect none of us are going to be perfect but that should be what we're aiming for and growing towards i love tom Matt Hosea, those of you who at the men's night and it was incredible we sort of had over 60 men saying we want to grow we want to develop ourselves we're going to do more of those men's nights but he challenged us as men to be men that are kind but stable men that are loving but strong i think that's what wives want that's what ladies want that's the type of person that god's getting across that's why i say in the little next bit here ladies these are the types of character attributes to be looking for in a potential man all men should seek to have elder qualities even if they never actually become elders We're not after position, but rather the character that pleases Jesus. So for men, let's focus on these characteristics with God's help. For ladies, that's the type of characteristics to be looking for. What else about leaders? Leaders should be confirmed by reputation. If a person is of bad character, he will have a bad reputation. It's not possible to have bad character and a good reputation for long. It can't be hidden forever. As the proverb goes, there's no smoke without fire. That's why Paul said an elder must be above reproach in verse 6 and he repeats it again in verse 7. He's talking about a person's reputation not inside these walls but outside, in the marketplace, on the golf course, in our boardroom meetings, in our business circles. He's saying what is the reputation that people say of you in those settings, not within these walls. Good character and leadership are confirmed by reputation. And leadership of the church needs to be totally different to the culture of the day. So my question to us today is, what is our reputation beyond these walls? If I was to ask your business colleagues, those you've done business with, if I was to ask your friends, if I was to ask your golf course buddies, the people you hang out at coffee shops, if I was to ask and say, hey, tell me a little bit about that person, or just what's that person like and how do they operate, how would those people respond what's the reputation that you have beyond these walls, it's something really important to consider. So Christ-centered leadership requires team, it requires godly character, needs to have good reputation, it also needs to govern things wisely, wise governance. How do we know whether a person is a good governor or not, a good leader or not? Well first, we look at family. We look at family because that's the people that a leader has the greatest impact on, and that is the grouping and the closest grouping that somebody leads. Look at this when it talks to this, and I understand, ladies, that this is primarily a challenge at men today. Don't worry, next week there'll be a challenge for ladies, too. But uh, I primarily, that's the focus of this, and so you can encourage your men if you're married into these aspects, and if you aren't, you can use it as a benchmark. Look at what it says here elder elders above reproach, uh, the husband of one wife, his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination. Big words. 1 Timothy 3, verse 4 to 5. Paul also says, he's writing another letter. He says he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household well, how will he care for God's church? Have you noticed that Paul doesn't say to be a church leader, you must manage your business well, or you must manage in ministry well. He says, the true measure of who you are as a man is found in the way you handle the relationships closest to you, your wife and your children. So two quick points on family and church governance. Will our children always be perfect? Ours are, but yours might not be, and that's okay. (laughs) No, they won't. They're never going to be perfect. None of us were as children either, but our children need to see Jesus in us. They need to see that he is the priority above all else. They're always watching to see whether we live out what we say we believe. It's easy for us to say, "Our kids, of course, of course we follow Jesus, of course we believe. But do our actions demonstrate it? Our kids will pick up hypocrisy faster than anybody else. And so it's important that we live this out. How do we love each other in our marriage? How do we interact as husband and wife? Is Jesus truly our priority? When it comes to governance you'll notice that in this passage and others eldership spoken in terms of men i've spoken this is on a a manly focus and so we do believe as hope church and eldership being the one area where it's a role particularly given to men and that could come across particularly in the world in which we live that scripture is rather against ladies and leadership but that isn't the case at all god created men and women with equal value but with differing functions And we see this in God's creative order and his design for marriage. And I love how Jesus, in a male-dominated culture, when he came to earth, he specifically sought out and cared deeply for women. Paul had incredible ladies leading and serving in the local church. So ladies, we want to see you launched into your gifting in all its fullness at Hope. Although my challenge would be is I think ladies are pretty open to stepping up and serving. The challenge is more for us men to keep up on that role and so it's about being a team on mission together personally in marriage and in the church there's so much room for us to serve and step up to the plate last two our leadership needs to be based on truth it says that um, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it next week i'm also going to jump into sharing a little bit more on the truth of the gospel. But it's so important for us to realize that there is truth. There's absolute truth. We live in a world where truth is relative. You can have your own truth. I can have my own truth. But actually, there is absolute truth. God's truthful. Or in the words of Paul, he never lies. And he defines what's true, what's right, and what's wrong. And so he should. If God really is the creator of everything that we see, he has the authority to do that. And the great thing is, is because he loves us, and he's proved it on the cross, his decisions and his truth will benefit us. And we see truth revealed through scripture. And so eldership teams and church life needs to be passionate about the truth. And so these are bigger words, false doctrine and those sorts of things. We'll describe them more next week. But false doctrine is anything outside of the truth that ultimately leads people away from Jesus. And how do you know if you're living or receiving false doctrine? Well, a few ways. You'll find that your life becomes one of discontent, fear, greed, judgment of others, pride, a lack of joy in God for who he is, and more. If Christ and Christ alone is not enough for you, and if we cease to teach here at Hope Church that Jesus Christ is enough, it may indicate that there's some false beliefs that we're holding on to. And friends, we have to be so careful what we listen to and what we take as truth. Because false teaching is not something that just happened then in Crete. It happens now in our world. And so we need to be on our guard. Just because something sounds good to us at the outset doesn't mean it is good for us. Just because something feels right to us in our thinking and in our upbringing doesn't mean that it is right. And so a few quick thoughts. How do we guard ourselves against false teaching? There's many things we could share on this, but I would say one is to deeply desire to understand the truth of Scripture in its fullness, to want that. Not for Scripture to tell you what you want it to tell you, but actually to sit under it and go, what does the Bible say? That's what it says, how do I live this out? So if you're wanting to learn and grow more in that, get yourself a study Bible. Get one by a collection of respected Christian theologians, people who want to understand the original Greek and the uh, the original Hebrew, a collection of scholars who really care about interpreting it properly. Test what you hear. Don't take someone's word for something just because they're famous or because they're your pastor. Don't take what I say or anybody else from the pulpit says as truth. Test it out as well. The digital age has meant that with a big budget, great marketing, and clever public speaking, millions can be reached, but it doesn't mean that it's biblical. We need to be aware of that. Number two, be aware of teaching that leads you to want what everybody in society wants anyway, or to make you look like what everyone else looks like. You see, we're called to be salt and light. There's a passage in 2 Timothy 4. says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound, truthful teaching, but have itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, to suit what they want to hear. Those are pretty strong words, but I'll be honest with you, I know what my itching ears, my nature that's probably quite sinful, that's probably not after God, would like to hear. And I think my itching ears would like to hear that my life's going to be perfect, that nothing difficult is going to come my way, that I get to live in complete comfort, wealth, and health all the days of my life. And that there's a guarantee that if I tick the boxes and follow it, that's what I get. That's what I'd like to hear. I think we'd all kind of like to hear that. But is that truthful? No, it's not. Is it scriptural? No, it's not. Yes, in the life to come, but here it's a different story. That's not what scripture teaches us or tells us to focus on. So if you're listening to teaching that encourages you to pursue the things that everyone in the world is after anyway, and that you can claim it and that you can receive it, it's not biblical. And ironically, Paul in Scripture was accused of those very same things in 2 Corinthians 11. He was being mocked because when people were saying, there were other leaders, they were saying to Paul, but look Paul, you're getting sick sometimes, you don't have all the money we have, clearly you're not following the right kind of God. And so he does a defense of this in 2 Corinthians. Very interesting to look at it. Teaching that allows for macroevolution being acceptable in faith circles. Teaching that embraces sexuality other than God's creative order is entering many churches. We need to be aware of these sorts of things. You see, the devil feeds us candy coated poison. He's the deceiver, he's the father of lies. We need to be watchful. If teaching majors on small portions of scripture but ignores or rejects the whole counsel of God, be careful. Be careful of teaching that focuses a little bit too much on me rather than he. Teaching that God, teaching that uses God like a slot machine. If I do this, I get this. Teaching where we have a greater say in the world than God does. Friend, there's one thing that God guarantees us. One thing that he guarantees us. And that's being saved from our sins for all eternity. And that is absolutely enough. Does he give us more than that? Of course he does. He's a good father. But what has he promised us? That through Christ on the cross, we get to have our sins paid for. We get to have our lives changed from the inside out. And heaven gets to be home for all eternity. There's nothing more wonderful than that. And we don't need more than that. Don't get your primary theology through a screen. Yes, we can learn lots from different people on screens. I do. But we all need to have physical people that we trust that we listen to, that we submit ourselves to people that we can talk to and grapple with, which is why connect groups are so important. If teaching moves away from the historical church beliefs, it's not scriptural. Someone says that they've received a new revelation from God about scripture that no one else has ever heard of before. Be concerned. That's the starting point for a dangerous path. And so the list could go on, but we need to have these guardrails because the truth is, is that false teaching is everywhere, and we want to hear the truth of scripture. The final thing before we take communion together, stewardship for an overseer as God's steward. Stewardship is about taking taking responsibility for something that belongs to someone else. So in any role of leadership, we don't manage uh, for ourselves. We do it on behalf of Jesus. He just died for the church. It's his precious bride. And so it's a great privilege and responsibility to manage all of our resources, yours and mine, for God's glory. We're constantly blown away by your generosity and investment in God's kingdom. And it's our heart's desire to manage and steward those resources well. And I know we've shared this, but personally, God calls us to manage the resources he gives us well for his kingdom. He gives us 100% and he says, hey, this is what I'm giving you and will you manage it well and steward it well. So those few points, you can click over to the next one. I would love us to, perfect, I would love this to be a focus and a priority for each of us. Wherever we're on the journey of faith, wherever we're on leadership, that we would be a people who care about godly character, that we care about our reputation outside uh, beyond these walls. We want to govern well. We want our lives to be based on truth, and we want to be good stewards. So I'd love us just on the back of that. We want to focus our lives on Jesus, which is why we're here. I'd love the host team, if they have, to bring the communion cups. Ah, they're there. Amazing. We've got a few minutes, which is perfect. So I love, while they're dishing those out, let me just explain to you briefly about communion. Wonderful thing we get to do as a church family. And this is what it says, just while you're listening and they're getting passed around, if you are new and visiting, uh, communion is something that we do as Christ followers to recognize what Jesus has done in our lives. And so if you aren't a Christ follower, that's okay. Thanks, Keith. You can pass it alongside you. Uh, That's all right. You can just take it in, but otherwise take one of those. And uh, communion is just the most amazing opportunity for us to look to Christ. Breaking of bread or taking the Lord's Supper is the special moment where we get to look to the risen Christ, who purchased our salvation on the cross. Something we get to do gratefully and humbly as we recognize the gravity of what took place on the cross. It's a fresh way for us to say thank you and offer ourselves again to Jesus. It's a wonderful reminder of what he accomplished for you and me on the cross. And so we get to take this together. I'll read briefly just while they go around and then we will take this. This is what it says, Paul's saying, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was to be betrayed, he took bread, when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then this wonderful promise for as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so the early church and us now down through the ages, we get to take this as the most wonderful reminder that Jesus died and rose again for our sin, that we get to have life with him now and life for all eternity. It's a precious thing that we get to do together. It's taken as a wonderful reminder of the fact that the cross saved us from our sin, purchased for us eternal life, where our eternal bodies will one day be free from the bondage of decay. No more old age. Unfortunately, no more alphas in Dandara. Not gonna happen in heaven because we have new bodies. That's the beauty and the wonder of the cross. And so have you got that? I think most people have. If you haven't done this before, we can peel off the top um, of it first, which symbolizes Jesus's body broken for us. I pray, and then we can take this together. Does, who doesn't have yet? Show your hands. Everybody have? Perfect. We pass around. Outside, do you all have? Outside. Everybody's got outside. Amazing. Lord Jesus, thank you that your body was broken for us. Thank you that you went through the most horrific agony so that we wouldn't have to. Thank you that you went through that so for all eternity we have new bodies. Thank you that there's healing that comes available from you, price paid on the cross. Thank you, God, that you went through beatings and nails and all those sorts of things, crown of thorns, so that we might be saved for all eternity. We are so very grateful. Where that used to happen to lambs and animals in the past, it happened to you, the one true lamb, the son of God, the ultimate sacrifice. And we just say thank you for your body broken for us today. We remember that afresh. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And then Jesus said, in the same way he took the cup and he said, this is a symbol of my blood shed for you. We just say, Lord Jesus, thank you that your blood was shed. You died. You paid the ultimate price so that our sins could be forgiven, so that if we would receive what you've done on the cross, if we would turn our lives to you, that one day when we stand before you, Father, Jesus, your blood covers us. Your blood covers our mess. It covers the wreckage in our hearts. The the price of our sin is paid for your life for ours so that we don't have to eternally die because you did. And so we're so grateful, Lord Jesus. May we be a people who never take what you did on the cross flippantly, who never take the fact that you paid for our sin flippantly, but that again and again and again, we overflow with gratitude of what you did for us, and then we live out of the wonder of that. So let's take this together. We say thank you, Jesus, for your blood shed for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for these moments together. Thank you for these important moments to look at healthy structures, clarity on what we stand on, what leadership should be like, what godly leadership should be like, how we should be as husbands, all those sorts of things. Lord Jesus, thank you that even if we're exploring faith here today, you speak. Thank you that if we even are unsure of where we stand faith-wise, there's opportunity to explore. For each of us, maybe, Holy Spirit, you just nailed in on something in our lives this morning. Maybe it is our reputation in the business sense. Maybe it's the fact that the way that we speak and the way that we act on the golf course or when we're out with mates doesn't really reflect how we live in a church community. Maybe for some of us, if we're honest, as husbands, there's a huge amount of improvement for us to do when it comes to mirroring you. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us in each of those areas and challenge us and help us, Holy Spirit? I pray, Lord Jesus, as Hope Church, that we would be a church that's built and founded on the truth of who you are, that we would always be led and directed uh, with a sense of teamwork and community and accountability and outside impact and outside voices, but that we would be a church that builds strong foundations and that a church that remains sold out to see your great commission fulfilled, to see many come to faith, and to see disciples made. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you and being able to openly read your word. Pray that as we head out from here today, we'll continue to be led by you and directed by you. your name we pray, amen.